To conclude our series on the healings of Jesus this summer, we are entering into a three-week series on the 14th chapter of John, where Jesus informs us and his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning we'll be focusing on Jesus as the way. Beginning in verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father." And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. These are the very words of our Lord. Please be seated. A little context for our scripture this morning. In chapter 13 of John's Gospel, Jesus and the disciples are eating the Passover meal which we commonly refer to as the Last Supper. After the meal, Jesus takes off his robe and washes the disciples' feet. Then Judas leaves the table and goes out to betray Jesus, at which time Jesus brings the horrible news that he is going to a place for which the disciples cannot follow. This would have been a very troubling thing for the disciples to hear as their one role for the last three years of their life has been to follow this man, Jesus, their rabbi. You see, following a rabbi in first century would be a very honored calling. When Jesus comes to call the disciples, come follow me, as we're aware, and they jump out of the boats and come and follow him, leaving their nets and families behind, this is not merely because they had radical faith, it's also because this would be a very honored call and an honored position in their society. So the disciples have been following Jesus day in and day out for three years. And then after the Passover feast and washing their feet, Jesus says, it's time for me to leave. They could be leaving, losing direction, losing stature, losing a friend, losing a mentor. All that they've come to know and be through Jesus, is now leaving. And expectantly, they are troubled. So how does Jesus begin his verse? But do not be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in the Father. Have faith, in other words. Just like Julie said this morning, through faith and trust in God, we do not enter worry. 
But looking deeper at this call to discipleship, there are two levels to this reality of the way of Jesus and two levels that we see throughout discipleship. See, when Jesus says, come and follow me, the tradition of following the rabbi would have been to go where the rabbi goes and to do what the rabbi does. By doing this, the disciples would have learned what to do. They would have learned this surface level of the literal application of what's going on. This summer, I had the great pleasure to follow Scott Hare through the deserts of Israel and follow him as a rabbi, doing as he did and doing what he said. And this begins very early on in your trip to Israel. After deplaning in Tel Aviv, Scott pulled the entire group aside, welcomed us to Israel, and talked about how we were going to start living into this way of being, this first century following the rabbi. He told a story, and he introduced us to the country, and then he said, come follow me. And the group of 24 set off down the terminal to follow him. One of the group went a different way and got on the walking escalator and soon was passing the group. As the rabbi discovered that one of the group was not following him, he turned around and walked all the way back to the place where we began and waited for the 24 to get back and then went through the exact same statements verbatim that he did before. Welcome to Israel. Welcome to the country. This is how we're going to live. And then he said, come follow me. And this time everyone walked the path that he walked and no one took the walking escalator. See, there is this initial reality of doing literally what the rabbi does. This first level of the way, which is translated as direction or paths or street, like Julie highlighted with the map. And that's what we learn initially. We learn to go left around the tree when the rabbi does instead of to the right. We learn to pick up a rock when the rabbi picks up a rock. We learn to touch the, the olive tree when the rabbi touches the olive tree. And at first you wonder what in the world you are doing. And then over time you realize that you go to the left of the tree so you can see the view, which later the rabbi will teach on. And you realize that you pick up the rock because last time they came here there was a dog and you need something to defend yourself with. And you touch the olive branch because later the rabbi will teach on the olive tree. So you begin to follow the rabbi at a very surface level. But that's not all there is in this reality of following the rabbi. There's another level, a way of being, a way of understanding. It's more of an application of these surface level commands, what they would have called in the first century a yoke. In a sense of putting on the teachings of your rabbi, the application of the commands. See, just as we know, when we read through the scriptures and we read certain commands, there's different interpretations or way of living those out. And there would be much debate in their culture when they would get together and different groups would have different interpretations or yokes of these teachings. So it's said that you could know who a disciple followed, who their rabbi was, who their teacher was, by how they lived out these interpretations. It was so distinct that you would know who they followed. So looking at these things, following the rabbi, we start to learn the way to go. And the way matters. It makes a big difference on the path. If you, the, the rabbi will lead you in a way that you can follow up, a, a way that the group can handle. We, we had a woman in our group who had broken her ankle. And so the rabbi had to lead us in a path that 
most of the, for most of the people was light and easy, but for one, it was still difficult. So there are some steps or some jumps or some places that we couldn't go. And being aware of this, the rabbi took that into account. But what I noticed on the path with the rabbi was the way that we went, or in a sense, the way that we lived actually mattered. It reminded me of a game my mom used to play when we were kids to try and get us to pay attention to where we rode in the car. Now, you know, if you've been out of town with something there with someone, there's a difference between just riding in the car and being taken around. And there's a there's another way of actually paying attention to where you're going to go. If you've gone to visit someone and they're just dropping you off at their house, you don't pay attention. But if you're going to have to get back to their house later when they're not there, you pay very specific attention and you maybe even take notes. So we'd get in the car and mom would say, where do you think we're going? And we'd be a block away from home. So we could be going anywhere based on that one cardinal direction. We just knew we were going west instead of east. So east was out. And then we'd pass the church and then we'd pass dad's office. So we knew we weren't going there. So the, the possibilities of places limited and limited until we got down to about one or two places where we knew we were going. But it helped us to pay attention not only to where we were going, but how to get there. You see, many people live their lives as if their actions don't matter. Like as if we're just all out here going whichever way and we don't need to get to a certain place. There's a great, great quote from Alice in Wonderland where she runs into the cat, which you might have heard this before. She says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to go, said the cat. I don't care much where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat. If you only walk long enough. There's this reality that if we're not even on the path to something, we're always going to get there. You can tell where someone is going based on how they're living or where they're headed, can't you? I remember in law school with my study group, you spend most of your waking hours with this small group of people and the the things you do rub off on them and vice versa. I remember showing up to lunch the first week with my packed lunchbox and I have a peanut butter sandwich and some Cheetos and I think even a Twix bar for dessert. And I look around and they have salads and whole wheat toast and tuna fish and all this kind of stuff. And after about two weeks, I stopped packing that lunch and eventually, over time, my lunch came to tuna fish and whole wheat toast and probably just water. <laughs> and how I live changed as well. I started going to the gym regularly. It was probably the best shape of my life. But being around people that lived in a certain way started to rub off on me. They had a direction. They had a path they were headed towards. And sometimes I feel like I'm not on a path. Like with my lunch, I was just packing whatever I thought would taste good that day. But as you could tell, I was on a path to probably being overweight. I was thinking of uh, the movie Along Came Polly where the girl moves from place to place and she's dating a man who's an insurance risk adjuster and he's very specific about 
all these different things, and he doesn't let her walk on the subway grate and all this kind of stuff. And she says, I'm not on a plan. And he says, yes, you are. You're on the no plan plan. I think there's this reality that no matter how we're living our lives, we're headed to something. And our scripture this morning highlights the reality that Jesus is leading us to the Father. Throughout scripture, especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus fixates himself on two things. One, the kingdom of heaven and the Father. He goes as far to say, I only do what I see the Father doing and say what I hear the Father saying. Jesus has this sole focus of the Father. And by focusing on the Father, Jesus reveals to us who the Father is and what the Father is doing. There's a reality that Paul uses this as well. He says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. David does this when he recites the Shema. He says, follow me in reciting the Shema as I follow Jesus. There's this reality in the faith that even though God cannot be seen, Jesus says in our scripture this morning, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So if you're using that out as I don't really know what God is doing or I'm unsure here, God provides us an easy example in Jesus, in scripture, in people like Paul, in people like David McNitsky. So where does this lead us to? Well, like David said, Jesus tells us, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. As one of our pastors pointed out this week, the difficulty of the narrow path is not that difficult as long as we are following Jesus in front of us. Jesus is the way to the Father, not just at the end of life, but also today in the ways we live. So in closing, I'd like to highlight two things daily that I see in our Lord Jesus Christ that will help us live in the way of Jesus and therefore the way of the Father. We see these two things modeled for us in the Jordan River before Jesus goes into his ministry, which I think is very, very important. I think God is, in a sense, adding to him the last two things he needs before he goes into ministry. Yeah, I heard that too. It's unusual to think that Jesus needs something. But first, God shares his delight in Jesus. And not just with Jesus. He shares it with all of us. He speaks it out over him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, in whom I take great delight. See, God has this great overwhelming desire for his his creation. He seeks us. He longs for us. God has this great delight over Jesus and that same great delight for us. And hearing that delight, hearing that encouragement, hearing that identity changes us. We need to hear this before we go out into the world to live, before we try and live out the commands. As David says, then we're living from approval and not for approval. And the second thing that happens in the Jordan River after God proclaims his delight over Jesus He pours out his spirit into him. And then it says the spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tested. It is that spirit of God, the very presence of God himself within Jesus that drives his ministry and fills him up. 
And you see that we are called to the same filling. You see Jesus saying this to the disciples and therefore also to us. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you have received power from on high. In a sense, you are not fit to live as I have called you until I have filled you with my spirit. And Paul said, it is God's spirit that testifies to our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. You see, Jesus exemplifies for us the way of living in the world. He is, in a sense, the application of the commands or scriptures. He is the word made flesh, the path, the way. And then the spirit is poured out into us to drive us back towards God in those ways. So in the same way that God, that Jesus himself needs that delight of God, that connection with the father and his spirit to live the life he has called, we need it all the more. Jesus equates eternal life with knowing him. This way of living, of knowing is offered to us through Jesus and his spirit. And it's not just for the end of our lives. It's for every single day. Amen.